Have you ever thought about that while you're away, your home could be an Airbnb? I did. I actually bought two homes in Albuquerque that I Airbnb'd, and it was just an amazing investment, honestly, because, you know, as you are accruing value in your property, you are also making money on the Airbnbs. It's amazing. So your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. 21 Seeds Infused Tequila is a must-have. It's an award-winning tequila. It's infused with real juice, with real fruit, which means the flavors are built in. It's real. So you need like two or three ingredients to make your perfect cocktail. Hey, um, you know how I'm always trying to keep my house parties exciting? New cocktails? <laughs> do you? Yeah. Okay, well, here's something that's going to flip the script. Okay. All right. 21 Seeds Infused Tequila. Yeah. yeah. Tell me more about this, right. Oliver Hudson. Yeah, 21 Seeds is an award-winning tequila that's infused with juice from real fruits. You only need two to three ingredients to make the perfect cocktail. Wait a minute. I think I know what brand you're talking about. You know why? Yeah. Because 21 Seeds is founded by two sisters and their friend. It's female founded. That's right. See? Sounds See like how I know? Something I can get behind. I know. Well, there's a good story behind that for sure. Listen, if you love tequila... You have to try 21 Seeds Infused Tequila. Enjoy responsibly. 21 Seeds Diageo, New York, New York. Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. Hi, I'm Kate Hudson. And my name is Oliver Hudson. We wanted to do something that highlighted our relationship. And what it's like to be siblings. We are a sibling rivalry. No, no. Sibling rivalry. Don't do that with your mouth. <laughs> sibling rivalry. That's good. Oliver Hudson. I'm back. I'm back. I'm back. In your house. In your house. One of the great moments that I had in this whole election week was when Ed Helms sent a green map of the United oh, States yeah. of all of the places that have um, legalized. legalized marijuana. Yeah. And then <laughs> on top of that, the places that are looking at psilocybin and psychedelics as also... Well, De- or I mean, and, and so Oregon. Yeah, I love that Oregon just went from okay. We're we're not going to go from weed to mushrooms. We're just going to go Fuck from it. weed <laughs> to fucking special K <laughs> meth. Let's just let's just let's just knock them right all yeah. off. I was shooting a movie in Bend, Oregon, and and we had our hair and makeup trailer stolen, and they found <laughs> with all our wigs and everything in it, and they found it. In out in a field mm-hmm. because these guys were meth guys stole it to go cook. Cook, and so they found it and they were cooking meth in our oh, in the trailer. That's a score but, for them. They were probably like, "This is sweet." <laughs> like, dude, we could wash our hair and cook meth. 
and there's wigs. <laughs> there's wigs. And then like they, like they, it was all still there. They just left everything. They left everything, amazing. but we were sort of like, yeah, we probably should just like throw it all out because, yeah. you know, who <laughs> yeah. knows what you know. Um, no, but you're right. The map is pretty green right now. Yeah, I just I think that's a great thing, and mm-hmm. and and we've always had fascination with uh, psychedelics and what they can provide for people in terms of healing and looking deeper into their psyche. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes. what did we do, Oliver? We talked to Dr. We talked Matthew Johnson at Johns Hopkins. This was a really exciting interview Loved for us. This, it was yeah. fun. Um, we recorded this back in February, mm-hmm. and we're releasing it now. So Dr. Johnson, um, he's a professor of psychiatry and behavioral sciences at Johns Hopkins. He's been published, I mean, he's, I think he's one of the world's most published scientists on the human effects of psychedelics. Yeah. The world's most. I mean, this guy knows what he's talking about. He's the associate director of the Johns Hopkins Center of Psychedelic and Consciousness Research. I mean, if that doesn't get you excited. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what I don't know does. what does. Um, but he conducts basic research and therapeutic studies with psilocybin and other psychedelic compounds. Mm-hmm. So we kind of got into with him what he uses, how he does it, yes. what he's looking for. And this isn't about tripping out, you know, and it's also not about microdosing, no, which, no. by the way, is the big thing right now. Mushroom chocolates and all that. Right. We asked him about that. And he says, we don't know. We don't do that kind of research. Right, we, right. He goes, remember, he goes, um, he, he goes, my favorite patients are the mushroom heads basically who come and they're like give me what you got yeah and he just rocks their world (laughs) that's how much he gives to really take you into a place because you know um there's through his studies he's trying to find treatment you know for opioid addictions ptsd PTSD, um anxiety Mm Depression. Depression. Well, I think the thing is... Stopping is we, you, smoking. Look, look. We all know the thing about... Mushrooms. Is, <laughs> is we all know, okay, those of us who have taken copious amounts of mushrooms. By the way, I'm watching this documentary. Um, it's called the, Fa- the Fantastic World of Fungi. No. Oh, it's beautiful. Fungi, you mean? No. Fungi? This is why I said it like that. Oh. Everyone's saying fungi. In the documentary, I'm like, I've been saying it wrong the whole time. It's so not fungi, it's fungi? I think fungi? it's fungi, yeah. Are fungi? You sh- no, fun- fungi. 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 Something like that. It's not fungi. Like Fuji? But it's beautiful. And basically... Fuji's fungies? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, it talks about just mushrooms in, just in general. And how oh, yeah. every step that we take on the earth, we are stepping on fungi. Yeah, fungies. And how incredible it is. In sort of the makeup of, of I love this, mushrooms, of all kinds of mushrooms. I love eating anyway. them. I love tripping with them. I but here's the thing. Here's the thing. There's a big difference between like I'm just gonna be real open and honest here because who cares? Um, I <laughs> <laughs> I had I went through this this moment in my life where I was very scared to have a psychedelic experience, and when I finally did, for me, it's like I didn't. I wasn't interested in taking, seeing what my friends u- used to do. They would like take a mushroom and like go to a concert and mm-hmm. they'd be laughing and like tripping mm-hmm. or whatever. To me, that looked kind of, I was like, I I don't want to be at a concert. Mm-hmm. If I'm going to do this, I, I want to get weird, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And 
And so I remember the first time I did it, I was 21 years old and I just couldn't believe that something was available that could, it was like, it was like, to me, it was like seeing the other side. Like to me, I remember looking at the light and the way that the light was hitting the trees and the, the house that we, we were at in, in Woodstock. And I, I was like, oh, 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 oh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. And for me, I wanted to go deeper. There wasn't just like, oh yeah, I want to laugh. I was like, no, I want to get, I want to keep going. Yeah. Where does this go? Yeah. And, and, and you're, everything's breathing and everything's connecting and you feel so connected. Mm-hmm. Right. And you do, it's unreal. I mean, it's well, truly. And, and to me, it's like, I don't, I don't look at that as like, okay, now I just want to like do that all the time and be there all the time. No, and now I'm right. No. I actually look at that and I go, wow, that's fascinating. I'd love to know more about this. And so when, when I'm talking with someone like Dr. Johnson, to me, it's not, it's not flippant. It's not funny. It's not just about like, you know, hey man, peace, shrooms. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, okay, whatever. This is really about how there are things that, that derive naturally that can change how, how our brains can process and deal with trauma. Psilocybin can actually. Well, this isn't about. Basically, it's not just about tripping. It's just about. It's about how these derivatives from this earth can actually. We medicate. Heal trauma. We medicate people on drugs. They affect the way that our systems work. They're man-made chemical drugs mm-hmm. that people take for depression. That people take for. Oh God, By the way, I do. I fucking. I'm taking. Way, I take I'm Lexapro. Saying, I, I, no, I take Lexapro. God, thank God. Yeah, of course. That we have these things. But there well, are alternatives. But there are alternatives, and the fact that there's men like Dr. Johnson and and Johns Hopkins doing research on psilocybin as a treatment um, is to me just ex- so exciting. Well, the the other thing too that that I loved. Um, that this isn't necessarily a uh, a cure for you know an opioid addiction or depression or anxiety in some way yes but he also deals with um, patients who are terminal and their fear of death oh, and right. how they're not able to sort of live the rest of their days in a good happy place. That's right. Not that it's easy to do, but what he's been experimenting with as well is dosing these patients and watching them come out without that fear. Yeah. Being able to live the rest of their years, present. months, whatever, and present the moment, with their yeah. family and not have that sort of just suppress the rest of your life, which is pretty cool, too. And there's been and that's uh, what happened to me with ayahuasca. We got to we got to interview someone that's like an ayahuasca. I want to do ayahuasca. We got to interview someone that, that can we do ayahuasca and then do a podcast in the middle of ayahuasca. No, that would be terrible. Oh, it could be amazing. Don't forget. I was there uh, the first time you did take mushrooms. I'll be throwing that was with up me. everywhere. <laughs> and you're gonna have a full on it's gonna be intense for you great okay um, anyway so, so have fun, he's been man. working since psych- oh. on psychedelics he's been working since 2004 he published psychedelic safety guidelines in 2008 helping to resurrect psychedelic research he's currently president of the international society for research on psychedelics if there is anybody to talk to about psychedelics, it is Dr. Matthew Johnson. So I hope you 
um, enjoy this episode because we, we really loved it. Peace. <laughs> <laughs>And I, I'm super pumped to sort of get all of to, to download. We just everything. were talking about microdosing, and and Oliver, we just said Oliver's only macrodosed. So, <laughs> so it'll be interesting yeah. to talk about um, all of the stuff you're doing. But right. I think there's a lot of people who don't even know what mushrooms or psilocybin is. Um, so I'd love for right. you to just talk about first of all how you got involved in the whole world of psilocybin and mushrooms. Yeah, so um, I became interested in psychedelics when I was about 19 years old. So I was sort of on a hiatus from college. I sort of had an early midlife crisis, you know, trying to really figure out what the heck I wanted to do. I had dropped out of an engineering program and eventually landed on, oh, I wanted to go into psychology, and everyone told me I was crazy. And during that break, um, I discovered a number of things, including the earlier era of psychedelic research and, and reading books by folks like Ram Dass, Richard Alpert, who passed away recently, and became, that, that was part of what got me interested in psychology in general. And I recognized early on that this was this fascinating area of research that had been at the forefront of psychiatry and neuroscience, but it was completely dropped and not for good scientific or medical reasons. It was really purely political and cultural. You know, that was just fascinating that there were all of these threads left dangling. and it, it seemed clear that this was going to be picked up. So I was able to jump into fast forward a few years. I finished my Ph.D. in experimental psychology with a focus on it's called different things, but psychopharmacology, which is this, the study of drugs and behavior, the study of drugs and the mind. I like to call it the good, the bad and the ugly of, of drugs, um, psychoactive drugs, including addiction. But one of the areas of deep interest to me were the potential positive effects of psychedelics. So I got into that in 2004 when I started my postdoctoral fellowship. And I've been studying psychedelics ever since. And it's been 15 years. And it's really, it's like black and white. I mean, back then, everyone was like, wow, you're on such a great career trajectory you know, what the hell are you doing? You're good luck ever getting funding in that. Good luck ever having a career in that. And now it's like, yeah, the world has caught up and it's been very, it's been very good to me. Um, and it's still the most fascinating thing I'm, I'm involved with. In psychedelics, do you mean LSD, psilocybin, peyote, any, any kind of psychedelic, ayahuasca, DMT? 
those kinds right. of every okay i think all the ones if my, if my working memory is good enough the all the ones you just listed are all called classic psychedelics okay so that's the to be nerdy it they're in the same drug class they hit the same main brain receptor kind of like the downers the benzos like xanax valium ativan they're all variations on a theme. They have the same basic mechanism in the brain. So all of the classic psychedelics also have the same basic mechanism. It's serotonin 2A. They have... Okay. And there are other drugs that are called psychedelic that have similar effects by different primary mechanisms. So like ketamine, MDMA... Right. Um, ibogaine. There's a number of them. Even more so back in the day, cannabis was often called a minor psychedelic. So speaking, you know, oftentimes I'll speak with more specificity about classic psychedelics because there's a lot of things that are about those that are unique that don't necessarily apply to the others, like a robust body safety. You know, it's, it's very, very, very difficult to die on a classic psychedelic because of its effects on your body. You could do something right. stupid, like wander into traffic or panic and do something stupid, but... So that's one of the, the things that's true of the classic psychedelics that doesn't necessarily translate. I have, I have a question, actually. Uh, I read Michael Pollan's book, um, and so I learned a little bit about it. And it was just fascinating to me how in the 50s when this was being studied and researched and, and advances were actually being made, to see it sort of crumble because the counterculture got a hold of it and exposed the sort of party element to it. Um, cause they were they all gone on the bus, man. Right. Is that yeah. essentially, is that what happened? And is Timothy Leary a part of that problem? It was really Ken Kesey that was more responsible. for yes. the He turned on more people, the psychedelics by and far. And the merry pranksters. Did. And he, and he really, it's funny because like the associations now are like, think, you know, the Bay area, tie dye color, Grateful Dead, all these associations. With, that that all was Ken Kesey and his pranksters in the Bay Area back in the day. And so um, the question about either one, I mean, really, I, it was much larger than that. I mean, if Leary wasn't around, I mean, I mean, his special place was he was a legit researcher. So kind of the story became, oh, you can't even trust the, the scientists, the doctors with this stuff. But, you know, you look at his path. He was kicked out of two universities long before he ever took a psychedelic or studied psychedelics. So he was kind of a, had a wild man streak. And there were lots of, like, figures that were you know, researchers that aren't an everyday name, like Sidney Cohen and Abram Hoffer and uh, Humphrey Osmond, that were, like, you know, big fans of the potential psychedelics and were studying them. In fact, many of them long before Leary. And they were begging Leary to tone it down. Like, oh, my God, you're going to freak people out. You're going to make this whole thing collapse, which is what happened. But I really think if, if it wasn't for Leary, it would have happened anyway. It was such a – there were so many forces so what, at play. So you're saying it was really the Grateful Dead that was responsible for the collapse <laughs> of stay in the research. Just the, like, <laughs> they just blew that shit right out of the water and fucked everybody because they were all just so high all the time. <laughs> well, I mean, there were – I mean, one bit of info is here. The average dose of LSD – back in the day, in the late 70s or late 60s, early 70s, was 300 micrograms. Today, that the average dose is around 40 to 50 micrograms. That's a big difference. There were a mm -hmm. lot of people going to the ER 
on bad trips. And that was a real thing. And so these, these are very powerful tools. And there, are, there were casualties. There are also plenty of people that say it changed their life for the better. And they can point to examples of how their life was improved. And, you know, I think there's truth to both. In the wonderful world of beds, it's Helix, <laughs> one of the most beautiful places to put your head. Oh, that was good, Ollie. Um, I'm home. I'm on my. I'm in my you're helix. On your helix. I'm on my helix. Does it feel weird to know that your friend slept in on your helix? Do you yeah. think that it was good energy when Mark it's Rose was there? Yeah. All right. So he, he made love in the helix and added to it. I he think. rocked. Right. Yes. Good. You know it's great. It. You know it's great too. Is you know Mark, as I said before, does a lot of hotels. He's opening up a hotel in Big Bear in yeah, February, just- and he. T- I was with him yesterday watching football, and he goes, "I need to get in touch with Helix because I would love to put Helix throughout all of my hotels." Whoa! So Beep. I have to put in a call to Helix. Um, <laughs> but anyway, yes, I'm very happy. Wait, to be by the home way, that's Helix. awesome. I know. Let me explain. It. Let me explain Helix to you very quickly. Um, you take a quiz. It just takes two minutes. To complete, it matches your body type and your sleep preferences with the perfect mattress for you. Okay, so say you like really soft or firm or you sleep on your side or your back or your stomach. Helix will, you put the you put those in and it will spit out the perfect mattress. Yeah, it gets you a specific mattress right. for your unique That's taste. That's right. That's exactly right. GQ awarded it. GQ and Wired Magazine actually awarded it. Best overall mattress pick. Number, number one. one. In 2019 and 2020. Yeah. So what do you got to do? You got to go to helixsleep.com slash sibling. Take their two-minute sleep quiz, and they'll match you to a customized mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life, 10-year warranty, 100 nights risk-free. Yeah, you might as well take, you might as well just do it. 100 nights risk-free. 100 nights. So Helix is offering up to $200 off of all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash sibling. The pillows are great. Pillows are great. Yeah, by the way, that's not something to sort of slough off there. You're right. I apologize. I sloughed it. The pillows are amazing. So one for you and one for your partner, or if you don't have a partner, it's waiting for a new part. Waiting for a little one night stand Whee! after the vaccination comes out. <laughs> um, <laughs> so that's Helix, H E L I X, sleep.com slash sibling for up to $200 off. Coors Light. Tap the Rockies. <laughs> you know, it's fun when I, when I, uh, that we get to do these Coors Lights ads. Is, I see billboards and stuff, and it's like, like, what's your moment to chill? And I'm like, yeah, I do that. Like, I say that. That's me. I, I'm a part of this whole ad campaign. <laughs> I take pride. I take pride in it when I see I know, other you, things. You know what? I was, I was, where was I? Oh, I was d- going downtown, and there's a big Coors, like, a, on the side of a building. And it had the Blue Mountains. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, I know all about those <laughs> Blue Mountains. <laughs> I'm the same. I, it's like, yeah, that's me. Yeah. It's like, it's like I, I like almost own a, the company. I'm like, yeah, that's us. I feel like we should. Coors, we got to talk. We love this beer. We're Colorado folk. Mm-hmm. And um, and made to chill. That That's what and I we see. Are, and we are, we are made, made to, to chill. chill. This yeah. whole, whole family is made to Sometimes. chill. Sometimes. Although lately yeah. it's been a little weird. I've been angry. Uh, we'll <laughs> talk about that. Is there another Ollie ad? yells at everybody. Yeah. But not when you're not. Look, if we you, did a therapy were, you and Danny ad, we were drinking a Coors Light. 
up oh, at yeah. Pine Creek Cookhouse. Beautiful day. We went, we took a hike. You guys had a Coors. You weren't yelling at anybody no, then, No, no, because when I drink a Coors, no. I don't yell. You chill out. Let me explain <laughs> it to you really quickly, okay? It's a three-step cold process, cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. So it's actually made to chill. Literally. Literally made to chill. The mountains... On the Coors Light, they're cold activated bottles, so the can actually turns blue when it's the the temperature it's supposed to be, which is kind of my favorite thing. <laughs> so that's why Coors Light is the one that we choose when we need a moment of chill. And right now, we're in chill mode, no doubt about it. So when you want to reset, reach for the beer that is made to chill. And you can have Coors Light delivered by going to get.coorslight.com. Deliver that shit. Deliver that shit. Get. Find local delivery options. Local, local. And please remember, celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. So can can you explain what these sessions are that you are doing? First, they come in for screening. They're medically screened. We make sure they don't have like severe heart disease risk and, and a number of other things like that. That's about two days worth of medical screening, about four or five hours worth, this or that, check their blood and all of that. And then they have preparation sessions. And the amount varies between studies, but it's somewhere between four and eight hours of contact time between the person to get the psychedelic and their guides, like the people who are going to be in the room with them. And the most important thing there is really strong rapport development. Like people shouldn't be around strangers. You know, you want to develop that, that trust and rapport to minimize the chances of, of anxiety and particularly paranoia and, and panic. And, and, and there's also discussion about what this could be like. It could be like this. It could be like that. And there's basically a laundry list of you name it. You know, you could feel like you're dying. <laughs> you could feel like your heart's about to rip out of its chest. You know, you go through all this. You also go over its safety profile, like your heart won't rip out of your chest. It's very, But we're monitoring your blood pressure anyway. All of that. You tell them no surprises. You tell them about everything and you get to know them. And you have some these real big picture discussions about the person's life. What was your childhood like? What are your relationships like? What's your uh, romantic life like? You know, what's your, I call it the big, you know, the big picture questions, whether it's religious or not, spiritual or not. What the heck do you think the big picture of reality is? Even if it's like, ah, eh, who knows, you know, whatever. Fine, we'll, you know, we'll chat about that. Because oftentimes in these sessions, people do touch upon the big questions, however one orients towards them. And then someone goes into the session. So they come here, show up at around 8, eight in the morning, 8 to 9, answer a few questionnaires, just like 10 minutes worth, check their blood pressure, and we, we chat with them, make sure they're feeling okay. And then um, we kind of have a, 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 a somewhat of a, a ceremonial atmosphere where we take it very seriously. We kind of hand them the psilocybin pill and, and a chalice, and it depends on the study. And in the study I run where we help people quit smoking, and we have them, have them go over their mantra or their mission statement for why they're quitting smoking, like they're doing it for their health and whatever happen, happens to be. But we, we wish them well, and they take it with a glass of water. And then it's going to be anywhere between 20 minutes and an hour um, before the effects start kicking in. So during that time, we'll... Um, We'll have discussion with them. There's art books in the room for them to look through. And I should say music is playing this whole time and they're not playing DJ. So it's not, the thing is you don't want the person to be having to make decisions during the whole time. They're, 
your job is to be a baby. Trust, let go, be open. We're taking care of you. Um, and so when they start to feel something, we invite them to lay down on the couch. We put the eye shades on them. Um, there's a trick to that without tangling up the hair and whatnot. So you kind of do that for them. And you, you basically you tuck them in and you remind them, I'm here with you. And the per- if the person feels anxious, the most powerful thing can be just holding their hand. And, and you've warned them about this in the prep sessions. Um, cause you gotta be very mindful in, in medicine of, you know, boundaries, you know, like hand on is okay. Shoulder is okay, but we don't go past that. But if someone has anxiety, we, we tell them, you know, it's like, you know, Kate or Oliver, we're, we're here with you. You're doing just fine. This is perfectly normal. You're just feeling the psilocybin. You're perfectly safe. Trust, let go. And um, that's a powerful thing. I've even seen it in sort of the bad trip tent setting at Burning Man, where even if you don't know the person and don't have a rapport, just having a, a, a calm presence can really turn things around. Mm. I have a story about that with my brother once. What brother? Uh-huh. You, you. Oliver, we were at a, in Aspen at, at a place called Belly Up, and I saw this guy, and we were, we were, I mean, we were just out having a drink and seeing a band, and there's this guy over by the bathroom, I and he was just having the, like a terrible trip, and I knew it immediately just because I've seen them so many times, and I, I was like, oh, Ollie, look at this guy, so I got to go help him out, and he's like, no, 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 he, just leave him alone. I'm like, no, I got to help this guy out. I, I wanted to go home. So I, he wanted to go home. <laughs> so I go to this guy, and I'm like, are you okay? You know, and and he went, you don't know, and I and I, I I could tell. I go, did you take some LSD? And he said, yes. I said, Is it what liquid LSD? Did you take a lot of it? He goes, yeah. And I'm like, okay. And I took him. I started talking him through it, telling him that it's all good and fine. I was doing, you know, I was I was trying to soothe him, and then he looked at me and he goes. And I had this white fur hat oh, I on. I was that. in all white. <laughs> and I had this white fur hat on and my hair was all curly. And he looked, he goes. You probably thought you were an angel. Right. That's what he said. <laughs> he said, yeah. he said white halo. He said, you're an angel. And I was like. I've seen this. And I said, <laughs> yes. And you're going to be fine. You are an Oliver. <laughs> goes up behind my shoulder and goes, and I'm the devil. <laughs> like Oliver and the guy freaked out I'm like Oliver <laughs> Jesus I just got this guy calmed down it was one of the great great uh, <laughs> so how long is so we the... stick to your role not Oliver's role yeah, in the God, of, yeah. <laughs> Oliver's he not need... invited well into your he sessions. needed to be punished he took too much and he <laughs> needs to know he did a bad thing can you be addicted can you get addicted to psilocybin and mushroom so that's a great or lsd point, or, or the, cannabis i should have mentioned it with the other thing so you can't physically overdose and you can't become addicted to the the classic psychedelic so that's true of lsd of psilocybin mescaline dmt which is in ayahuasca you can't become addicted now i'm using you know i'll draw this the the psychiatric distinction there you can abuse these, and that just means you can use in a in a stupid way. <laughs> you know, like a couple mm. teenagers go, you know, driving a car when they're on, you know, after eating a bunch of mushrooms. Like, okay, they're abusing it. They're putting themselves and others at risk. It's an extreme example, but um, addiction really is referring to compulsive drug seeking. You know, no one is jonesing for their next mushroom fix or their next acid fix. So, yeah, you, and we know that from every level, the way it, it affects – um, dopamine in the so-called brain reward cent- center, the mesolimbic, 
We know that from the large scale surveys from like animal models, like any where rats could be trained to self-administer pretty much any drug that can be taken addictively in people. You can train a rat to take it. They'll typically want to stay the hell away from psychedelics. Um, right. Right. Well, actually, I, it would be explain scientifically how it works. Mushrooms or the classic psychedelics. Right. What happens in how does your stomach process it? What happens to your brain? What is what is the science behind it? Well, the really interesting part is is what happens in the brain, and we have far more to learn than what we already know, but we've learned a lot. So in, in the gut, one of the things with psilocybin is that it the, the, the psilocybin, which is in mushrooms, breaks down to psilocin. It's kind of a trivial thing, but psilocybin is a, actually a prodrug. It, it breaks down to the actual drug in the gut. The mushrooms actually have psilocin and psilocybin. But anyway, it's psilocin by the time it gets to the in, in, into the into the brain. And in the brain, it has an effect on serotonin 2A receptors. So every neurotransmission, you know, we hear about serotonin and dopamine and all these things. You know, neurons communicate like a, a, a catcher, a pitcher and a catcher. So like someone's like throwing the ball and someone's catching the ball. One cell or neuron is here and the other one's here. And the neurotransmitters go from one to the other. And so normally... There are neurons that release serotonin. They kind of hang out in this gap, and they finally end up at the other side, and the kind of the catcher, you know, the postsynaptic side, um, receives the neurotransmitter. They catch the ball, and then that has some activity on what that neuron does. It activates it. So the way the classic psychedelics work is by mimicking serotonin, but not a direct mimic. They, they do something slightly different it, on the catcher side. So they activate the serotonin 2A receptor in a slightly different way than serotonin itself does. So you have other drugs like MDMA, which is not a, a classic psychedelic. That works by kind of releasing a lot of serotonin from the other side, from the pitcher side. So you have the pitcher just throwing out balls like left yeah, and right. Yeah, right. it gets you in and trouble. And that's the way that's into the serotonin. synapse. So <laughs> these are kind of the nerdy pharmacological differences. But the you know, that but, but even that that um, sort of receptor activation level effect. That's like the first domino in this incredibly complex, like you ever see those demonstrations where there's this room full of dominoes that like are knocked over yeah. and they go up bridges and yeah. then spin things and all that. So it, it's like that, you know, that's just that first domino. And then what happens after that is where we're filling in a lot of pieces. Probably one of the best areas that's emerged is is the effects on brain network dynamics. That's a fancy way of saying how the different brain areas communicate with each other. And so this is not necessarily about, oh, this area is more active, this area is less active. This is more about what's the relationship between the activity in different areas. Is there a synchronization of activity, which is an index of probably of communication? So what you see across the brain is this essentially communication across brain areas that don't normally communicate very much. And, and in some sort of local networks, areas that are close to each other that normally communicate a lot, sometimes you see less communication there. So it's like you think of a city and neighborhoods, all of a sudden you normally have most of your, your communication with your neighbors, or at least back in the day that was the case, you know, mm -hmm. with your neighbors, the folks in your local neighborhood. Now we scramble things up, and so you're talking to this, those folks – um, 
less frequently, and you're just randomly talking to people across town, across the city. So it's almost like what well, the internet has done. Maybe that's one of those, you know, the internet mm-hmm. is very yeah. psychedelic in a way. Uh, <laughs> you just kind of scramble things up. And so you have this massive change in the way that the brain talks to itself, which is probably, and I'm filling in, now I'm speculating a bit, but I think it's reasonable speculation. That's probably why people have novel insights. They are thinking their brain is processing information in a way that it normally doesn't have the ability to. People are seeing things from novel perspectives. Sometimes people will say that they've, things they've told themselves thousands of times, like I've worked with addictive people and people that are um, seriously struggling, even terminal with cancer, and they've told themselves things like, I'm the one destroying my life. Like, I, you know, I'm letting this thing destroy me. Or all I have to do is, is quit. Like, I, I'm not, you know, I don't have to make this choice to keep smoking cigarettes. And they can just, they can tell themselves these things. And it's, it's, it's like the verbalization is not new. You know, they said those words a million times, but now they like feel it in their heart, it's feel the it processing. In, their, in their bones. Right. The mm. processing becomes like this, this intense understanding of yourself. Right. Are we expanding our minds? Is this an actual expansion of our physical brain? Are we using parts of our brain that normally in a sober day we do not? So, you know, that terminology... I think there's something like that, but the, you know, the responsible scientist in me wants to kind of draw a line with, like, we can't really say, like, right. we really don't even know what the mind is. So right. we, we know about the brain, sure. and then it kind of gets more into philosophy in terms of what you even consider. Well, consciousness, I mean, how do you, you know, quantify yeah. or what is consciousness, I guess? Exactly. Right? Yeah. But but I, I think we can say the mind or consciousness, if we want to use those terms, are radically different. Yes. And, and probably, and to go, to, to speak loosely, that's my caveat, you know, if they're expan- expanded in certain ways, they're probably contracted in other ways. Like your ability to, to cross the street and um, do so successfully is probably reduced. I mean, we know in a number of like neurocognitive measures that these aren't performance enhancing and so, you know, someone might be crossing the street and they stop and they look at their hand and see this unfolding miracle and then they get run over by a Mack truck, right. yeah. which is also a miracle right as it's like, you know, but you're still dead. Yeah. Right, but I, but I, or when, right. I was, when I was 22 at a truck stop somewhere in Nebraska and I walked into the into the big uh, like the yeah. convenience store. Yeah, yeah the, the convenience store. And I, I, I took a, a popsicle out. And I, I said, oh, to the guy, I said, just one popsicle. And I thought, is it called a popsicle? <laughs> <laughs> and I turned to my ex-husband. I was like, is it called a popsicle? Right. <laughs> like, and why yes. is it called a pop, <laughs> popsicle? Completely unable <laughs> to... But you know, but connect. those but those experiences that people have those profound experiences that you have seen you know um, tested uh, in in a, in a room clinically tested once you come out of that it can uh, forever change the way that you think and feel potentially right. in your sober life so it does have right. some sort of 
My article furniture had come while I was away. I had my friend Mark Rose, who was living at my house, put it together because that's what he does for me. <laughs> and it looked beautiful. I had outdoor furniture. I had a couple couches. This is exciting. It was exciting. It was great. It was really beautiful. It's I, got this sort of like modern E feel nice. to it. I'm about to hit them up and do my office. Oh, great. I'm going to get some pieces from my office. Great. What I love about Article is that they're timeless pieces. You've got, it really does, across the board, you have things that are very affordable. And then you have things that sort of are at a, a more sort of medium price point. But you're getting, because of its sort of direct-to-consumer model, you're getting really great quality at a really great price. And another thing, you know, I love about their site, they have these room inspirations. You go on there, you click on it, then all the products come up and, mm -hmm. yeah, and it's but got, they okay. really nice. Yeah. And they're aesthetic. Kind of lends itself to definitely that mid-century mm -hmm. Scandinavian clean lines, but it can really go in any style of house. But here's the here, here, here's the thing. It's, there's, it's quality. It may be inexpensive, but it's quality. And here's why. There's no middleman, okay? So you save up to 30% off of over traditional retail prices. They're able to do this for you by cutting out the middleman and selling it directly to you. So there's no showrooms, there's no salespeople, no markups. That is why we're able to get better quality at better prices. Affordable shipping is fast and is available across the USA and Canada and is 100% free on orders over $999. So... Remember that. Go for the thousand. Mm -hmm. It's like uh, the price is right. One dollar. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we love Article. And all in-stock items are delivered in two weeks or less, which is huge. So Article is offering our listeners $50 off your first purchase of $100 or more. So go to article.com slash sibling, and the discount will be automatically applied at checkout. That's article.com slash sibling to get $50 off your first purchase of $100 or more. Which psychedelic, whether it be the classic or MDMA or ketamine world, which grouping are you guys seeing the, the, the most effective or being is the most effective in terms of any kind of therapeutic use? Right. So the two big standouts are psilocybin and MDMA. I've worked a, a lot with psilocybin. I, I haven't worked directly with, with MDMA. I would like to. And I'd... Um, probably going to be starting some work with LSD s soon. Woo! But um, in terms of the, <laughs> the, the, the state of the science right now, psilocybin and MDMA, they're the MDMA for PTSD and then psilocybin for depression and the treatment of addiction. Those look very promising. And they're at about the same level of, of, of science you know, in what capacity is it microdosing? Is it very specific? So yeah, we, we we know that there have only been a few studies on microdosing. Microdosing is very fascinating, but there's very little research. And you know, it's funny because I see all the time folks will say, "Oh, yeah, all this research with microdosing that's gone on at Johns Hopkins and other places," and you're like, "No, no, no." These are heroic doses. These aren't even normal recreational doses. Most, and I've run several studies with where we want the person that has used a lot of psychedelics, like the connoisseur study where they could say, oh yeah, this is like the time I took 2CB on top of like yeah. smoking DMT. And, but, but sometimes those folks will say like 
wow, you guys aren't screwing around. That's the most powerful psychedelic that you've ever had. Right. Because we do use a, a high dose of psilocybin. You know, mushrooms vary in their potency, but the average, based on content analysis, what we're giving is about equivalent to somewhere between an eighth ounce and a quarter ounce of psilocybe cubensis mushrooms. That's the most common type in the U.S. Jeez, that's um, a lot. So, yeah, like a lot of folks will split an eighth ounce two or three ways and, you know, go to a concert or even hang out in their house and want to stay away. This is like almost a quarter ounce of mushrooms. This is most folks that know psychedelics say the, you don't go in public like this is this is not a museum dose. This is. You strap yourself down in your house. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I always felt like I'd never understood the recreational use of, of mushrooms. For me, it was a, an actual experience, you know. To- yeah, self-exploration. Right. Like, yeah. And, and, and in fact, the it does seem clinically that that's where most of the interesting content is at. One of the reasons for the using the eye shades in the sessions is that you know, the first level is sort of perceptual. The colors can be absolutely fascinating. And the person will have some time to experience that. But if you, you can kind of get stuck there. And by kind of directing the attention inward to the self, that's where some of the more profound effects, like the insights into self, into someone's history about their relationships. And then that's cool. the even more profound stuff, the transcendental type yeah. experiences what 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 is the how how was the duration of the experience you know five to six hours matt it sounds I like go. like what you're doing because <sighs> ayahuasca you're just down and out i mean you know you 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 you're you're laid out and that to me was felt more of what my experience was with ayahuasca where it's first of all the prep sessions and then you know having to really um let go and when you feel it coming on it's 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 so strong and as you sort of let it take over you know it's a very different experience than say you know doing some a handful of mushrooms well not maybe a handful of mushrooms will do that for you but like you know doing a cap of a mushroom or a stem or something you know like there's no choice but to fully surrender yeah you have to like you're not gonna hold your shit during it and like yeah try to like do your taxes or just no no i love i've never done that before where it's like i love the way you put it you don't have any choice but to surrender because in our normal lives in our sober lives we have we have that choice to hold on and squeeze with with something like this when you go that far you don't have a choice you have to in order to sort of you know let go and have this have an, have an experience you know i mean have you encountered a lot of patients who will not let go and are just freaking the fuck out yeah yeah and and, and so you don't have to let go but it's sort of like it it nudges it in, in that direction, and a lot and sometimes people come out of it and, and say it's like they finally got it. It was like quick biofeedback. Oh, when I let go, that's when it became easy. And, and the most profound kind of big picture things. And gosh, I really remember so many of our fifty one cancer patients saying this. That um, but you see it in in all the studies. Um, people people see that as a, this lesson as a microcosm of life itself. And it's, you know, it's one of these things, it's easier said than done. I wish I did it, you know, we all do, you know, on a, on a more day-to-day, moment-to-moment basis. But the more you can 
not fight what you're given, you know, like operate within the range that you can operate. I mean, it's like the serenity prayer, like have the wisdom to, you know, know what you basically have no control over and just let go. Mm-hmm. And, and the, the, the stro- and this idea that orienting towards like the, the, you know, having the obsessive control over things that you cannot control, you know, you're never going to win. You're never going to win. And, and yeah, people drawing that kind of like, oh, that's, that's like life. You know, you just have to accept it. Like, I mean, we're going to face hellish things like death and the death of loved ones and all of this horror. But yeah. is cancer, what do you do? When you talk about cancer patients, too, this is about them managing their, their, the fear of death, pretty much. It's not right. about cancer itself. It's, and correct me if I'm wrong. It's more about that's right. the fear of death and, and terminal patients who are just not living the best lives, even if they only have a year or two left. It's getting them to that place of acceptance to then sort of live out the rest of their days in some sort of harmony. I mean, is that right. the idea? It's exactly the idea. And we included people who were both, you know, sort of terminal and people who, you know, their prognosis was serious, but they could live, you know, a decade or two sort of or, or longer their more. State. Yeah. And that's the real insidious thing about cancer, man. It's like, you could be doing fine, and then all of a sudden, nowhere, it's metastasized everywhere. And the, out of nowhere, you could be told you've got a month. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, I mean, compared to other illnesses where at least, like with heart disease and other things, you have, the metrics are pretty, you, you have a pretty good idea if you're on the right path, and just cancer just can come back out of nowhere. And mm-hmm. it it really screws with people so strongly. And, and, and so you had people that were just suffering and not... Um, I mean, so so often folks are like, I could be playing with my grandkids. I could be planning for vacations, and they they won't do any of this because they are so just like bunched up with this obsession over over death. Well, scared. They're just so scared. Yeah. Um, I I have I have a question. I I think I I can only draw from my own personal ex- experiences. You're talking about therapeutic uses for these things, and I find that sometimes. The, the stigma that becomes attached to this is because people go and become obsessed and have to sort of constantly get to this place of enlightenment and it and then I and then I'm looking I'm like oh no you're 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 just abusing well, you're missing the this. point right but yeah. I, but but I think it happens quite a bit you know um well there's an escape aspect which then from a psychological standpoint i guess you just have to look at that i mean if you're doing mushrooms every day to escape your normal life and to live in an alternative universe i mean that can't be like a, a healthy thing well or people who smoke weed all day every what? day and say that <laughs> what <laughs> and say that it's fine because it's medicine it's, it's fine like, because no, it's you're medicine using it it's like it's like if i was drinking all day it's not the same as drinking all day <laughs> But 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 the effects of it can be anything that you do too, too much of is going to, and this I guess is a good question. If you are doing too much of something, doesn't it affect your cognitive ability, your day to day like ability, like your 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 actual the clarity of being able to function in everyday life? Like if if someone is smoking a ton of weed all day long, what? <laughs> 
<laughs> Who would do that? All right. I, I guess I guess the question is, can it can it, it can, permanently screw it. up your brain if you're abusing <laughs> psilocybin or cannabis to the point of or LSD. complacency or LSD? I mean, I've, these are complex questions, and they have to do. So, there's so many factors like vulnerability and age and the one's overall environment. So I've got to get in all those caveats. You know, there are heavier users of any drug, you name it, that, you know, it has minimal effect on their functioning and others where even a lesser amount totally sure. tanks them. And you have different things going on, like, you know, cannabis, it's, uh, yeah, there are so many concerns that are there. For example, with alcohol that are not going to be there, you know, like you're not going to kill your liver, for example, but it's more right. in the, you know, the relevant questions of be in terms of your functioning. You know, when you're on it, you're going to have lower, um, you're going to have impaired divided attention abilities. In other words, um, in lesser ability to stay on top of multiple tasks at the same time. It's kind of like why in driving simulators, you know, in a simple situation, people actually, there's not much effect on their reaction time, but people actually slow down more than they need to. So they actually overcompensate, which is the classic <laughs> thing, like keeping Chong going like 20 miles an hour yeah, on yeah, the yeah, interstate. Yeah. But, but <laughs> where you, that's not where the problem is, where the problem is where something unexpected happens. Because in, you know, someone's like z kind of in the zone and they're zoned out and all of a sudden, oh, that car's weaving from the other lane. And it's like, are you going to react as quickly as you need to and that's where you see some and that's where there is some impairment with cannabis and driving nowhere near where you get with um high dose alcohol right of course but, but it's it's still, i think we also have to take into account the body chemistry because we're all going to react to these different can cannabinoids and psilocybin differently right. just based on our body chemistry and tolerance and tolerance yeah. i mean look at seth rogan seth rogan is like you know he smokes weed every single day but is a creator he creates he creates that's his that's his happy place how do you, you don't even know seth rogan i did dawson's creek with him <laughs> So he, we know each other, but I've heard him. So there's about. incredible tolerance to the to these things. I I, I think the relevant que questions here. A lot of it's played up too much on drugs and like you know brain damage and whatnot. I, I, you know, brain damage isn't good, but mm -hmm. <laughs> I think the more relevant questions relate to clinical functioning. You know, like a lot of it is made of, of cocaine, and no one's encouraging. I mean, by the way, I'm not encouraging use of anything, including psychedelics, but no one's certainly encouraging cocaine use and you know, you get a lot of stuff, and same with methamphetamine, about potential brain damage and all of this. And it's like, yeah, but overall, in the big picture, those effects, it's really the, it's really the, the, the role that it plays in one's life. You have this powerful reinforcer taking over and kind of um, warping one's life, like the attention that's given to this to the exclusion of other things. Like that's far more relevant than say, right. I don't mm. know, knocking your IQ down like two theoretical points. I mean, right. Right. you name the drug, there are plenty of really smart high IQ people that have used it and you can have a lot of impairment that has nothing to do with right. cognition. So I think right. the cognitive right. thing is overplayed in terms of the long-term effects of drugs. But 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 I think you know going back to Kate's original question, like there are, I'm more concerned with the heavy use of psychedelics of people getting into, like exas. And this is a big unknown. I but I think there's something there, like exacerbating personality disorders. Like if someone's on the um, borderline spectrum, 
the narcissist spectrum, like if they're really full of themselves and they're really addicted to drama, like they could really go off the rails with psychedelics. Really? And I think if, if you know enough people, it you know, they're into psychedelics, there are definitely people of that type that, and if you ask the people around them, they're not necessarily saying this person is better because of all of this. But explain and, off and, the and rails, think, though. When you're saying off the rails, like say, a, say a, a, a diagnosed narcissist, you know, takes a bunch of mushrooms. When they go off the rails because they seek drama, what does that mean? Does that mean a permanent off the rails? Meaning something can actually happen to where now there's a, a permanence to a new personality? Well, it would probably exacerbate it. I mean, you're all like right. a narcissistic personality disorder. I mean, obviously you are the expert, but correct me if I'm wrong, but <laughs> a narcissistic personality disorder is e- e- untreatable according to, I mean, some think can work with right. narcissists, but it's an untreatable personality disorder. So what it would probably do is exacerbate it. It would make it, would make it just more intense and like, you know, it's like- And, oh. and this has been talked about in terms of you know beyond psychedelics, how people hold mystical experiences in in the various you know religious and and other traditions, where it's like you basically have this ultimately this inexplicable thing that's really hard to to hold. Like, what is the nature? Someone can come out of the, one of these experiences saying like, you know, well, I think Ram Das put it in an interesting way in the book Be Here Now. It's like the the um, yeah, plenty of people come out of psychedelic experiences recognizing that they're God or come out of mystical experiences saying, oh, they they recognize they're part of God. The, the But the, the difference between a crazy person mm-hmm. <laughs> and the person is not crazy is, is the sane person recognizes that everyone else is God as well. So... And I, I'm not trying to be religious or, you know, advocate for any... any but, but just as one way of expressing it, like the holding of that thing, like is one can come out of a psychedelic experience realizing the depth of consciousness, if you will, or the of their own mind is so absolutely overwhelming and beyond anything that they ever thought was possible. If one comes out and then holds that as something special about them that they're not extrapolating to other human beings, that's probably – and again, I'm speculating here because we're kind of – beyond the frontier mm-hmm. but my mm-hmm. based educated speculation based on what i've seen is i think people can get in that terrain where they're failing to hold this thing and this this mysterious experience in a balanced way mm. and they, they can kind of go off the rails how would that affect a borderline personality yeah so someone i mean i think of borderline as being you know sort of this uh someone who is really sucked into their own drama. They're addicted to their own drama. And gosh, like psychedelics can come with a lot of drama. I mean, you know, they, uh, someone can create a narrative where they, they had an experience that was beyond what mere mortals are, (laughs) are capable of. They can be kind of sucked into their own. I mean, they can basically go the messianic route. Like I had the vision, Mm. you know, I had the vision about the, the, you name it, like the, the ending of the world about the deciphering of it's so wild code because as I'm hearing you, like I've never, I've never heard that before, but then I've have people that I know that have had that are like that. 
that have had experiences and come out of it. And it's like they, they realize they have some like purpose. It's Billy Crudup in uh, Almost Famous. I'm a, that is true. Yeah, when he stands up on, I'm the, a golden god. on the golden god. Oh he's on god. acid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was that was LSD, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, 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 on the yeah, yeah. So funny. Now, yeah, we don't have our sessions on the rooftop. That's a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> no pools to jump into. Um, so is the is the room itself sort of tranquil, you know, that you run that you that these patients are in and do they are do they yeah. get up and walk walk around and trip out. I mean, I, I'm so curious. I mean, you must deal with so many, I guess, I don't know, bad trips, and then you can sort of talk them off ledges. But I mean, how how is that, number one? And then second part is, does everyone benefit from it? You know, in the studies that you've done, have you had a lot of people who said, well, that was just fucked up. Uh, that just fucked my brain up. I, I don't ever want to go back to that place again. The room is basically really nice. It doesn't yeah. look like a research lab. You know, the blood pressure machine is stuck under an end, end table, you know, sort of hidden. But it looks like, you know, a posh yoga studio. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like nice. beautiful artwork, you know, rug, everything, nice furniture. Um, and we do about a third of the at the high to, highest dose we use, which is the dose I described before. It's about 30 milligrams of pure psilocybin body weight Oof. adjusted. Um, about a third of the people will have an experience that I call a challenging experience. And I use that word instead of bad trip because in this context, one a tr a experience that's difficult isn't necessarily a bad one. In fact, a lot of people, most people who have a challenging experience will say that it was an incredible learning experience that they valued in retrospect. Um, now, not everyone is in that category. Some people will say... Um, I would never want to do that again, and I don't think I benefited from it. But we haven't had anyone out of hundreds of volunteers say that they've been harmed long term because of it. So, you know, I, I think that's that's a credit to our, you know, screening people. And, and, and something I should get in here is that we do think that people coming in with a schizophrenia type disorder or a recognizable predisposition to a psychotic disorder like schizophrenia, those are the cases of people that supposedly trip and never come back. I mean, that's kind of loose wording, but we have these those stories. I always think of Sid Barrett, the first singer of Pink Floyd. He showed all the signs of, you know, before, you know, um, he was using a lot of LSD. And a lot of times people explore drugs at the time of the typical first break of schizophrenia. But it seems pretty credible that people can be worsened who have that predisposition so there's screening for that there's the preparation there's the monitoring but 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 could psilocybin or an lsd help someone who might be borderline or who might be bipolar if given different dosage you know i mean can you bring i wonder if you could bring anyone back through a psychedelic so that's you know I don't want to say, and some people will say these should never be given to people with psychosis. And so, you know, I, that's not the thing we should be looking at now. If that is ever done, that needs to be even more like we're always cautious. But probably after a lot more is, is learned with, you know, healthier populations and to proceed super cautiously. Um, because it does seem clear that, you know, people can, from the clinical picture that people with that, particularly when we're talking about 
mania, as in bipolar or psychotic disorders, that it could exacerbate illness. Now, that said, you know, we're seeing improvements in depression in, in patients, but I've done some survey research where some people under not ideal settings, their depression is worsened. So that's just an example that I think, as you were alluding to, Oliver, some you know, the thing that causes an effect in one direction could theoretically, if you tinker it in a different way, maybe dose-dependent, maybe dependent on other factors, you can push in the other direction. So scientifically, it's possible, but it's, um, we just want to be very cautious, and it's pro- we probably need to learn a lot more first. What Honey does is makes your life really sweet. It is a free browser extension that scours the internet for promo codes, and then it automatically applies the best one available at checkout. Amazing idea. Shopping online is a part of our daily lives, especially during this COVID time period. And uh, and this, to me, is where Honey comes in. It's your It's your online best friend. Okay, great. Should we explain in detail sort of how it works? Go for it. Um, you get Honey on your computer for free in two easy clicks by going to joinhoney.com slash sibling. Then when you're checking out on one of its over 30,000 supported sites, Honey pops up and all you have to do is click apply coupons. You wait a few seconds as Honey searches for the coupons for that site. If Honey finds those working codes, it'll apply the best one to your cart. That's... You don't have- you don't have to do anything. It's you just click things. The best. Honey has found it's over 17 million members, over two billion dollars in savings. I'm going to repeat that again. 17 million members, over two billion dollars in savings. Again, I'm just upset that I did not come up with this idea. Honey supports all kinds of retailers, from tech, gaming sites, fashion brands, to even food delivery. It's simple. If you have a computer, Honey should be on it. It's free and works with whatever browser you use. You can get Honey for free today at joinhoney.com slash sibling. That's joinhoney.com slash sibling. What's the difference between the pill and the and an actual mushroom? As far as we know, none, although there could theoretically be effects. So I would say just... I mean, no one has compared head-to-head um, psilocybin at, at, when you adjust for dose compared to mushrooms. They're, the psilocin, as I explained earlier, the psilocybin and the psilocin that are present in the mushroom all break down to psilocybin, so that is likely not going to contribute to any difference. You do have some other tryptamines like baocysteine, norbaocysteine, that theoretically could add to the coloring of the effect, so to speak. Like with cannabis, you know, cannabidiol and other cannabinoids in addition to THC, I think there's a more credible case that that's going on with cannabis. It's, we need the research, you know, these other things aren't there in very high amounts, so we should test these, it's, it's plausible, but I think most, my bets are it's probably about the same thing. As a researcher, and this is clearly your passion, you know, what are you looking for? What are your hopes in all of this? My biggest hope, really beyond even the treatment of of disorders, is that these could be tools to, I mean, yes, I could go big here. Like, the, the, <laughs> and I'm not holding my breath for it, but I mean, could they could they be used as tools to 
to to to address the hard problem of consciousness. So like, what ultimately is the nature of of subjectivity, and how does this hunk of meat all of a sudden, at some level of complexity, there's an inside, there's an experience that is has a first person experience of everything else. I don't know that that's ever going to be possible. That might be a more of a philosophical question than an empirical question. But I think certainly in terms of uh, what is realistic is is using these psilocybin and, uh, and other psychedelics. And we have hundreds of psychedelics to explore, to be clear. Um, it's not just psilocybin. Uh, and I think to get the full picture, you really need a lot of probe the brain in different ways. So, I mean, there's tons of work to be done. But to use these as tools to understand the nature of the mind, like how even if, it, you're not ta- if it's not the, the so-called hard problem of consciousness that we're talking about, just a- a understanding how biology is translated into behavior and mental function. I think these are incredibly powerful tools. And so I think the potential to transform psychiatry, that is to say help people with disorders, is, is a game changer. But even bigger than that is just you know, really understanding the nature of the mind. You can say it in different ways, but that's the that's the real interest here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 really amazing. I mean, I I I want a question going back to sort of the analytics, okay? Or or sorry, not the analytics, the the science. Um, how when you were talking about the synapses and the pitcher and the catcher, how different is that from like an SSRI? From uh, from uh, from antidepressants, because essentially what it sounds like is we're dealing with serotonin. You know, we're dealing with some of the same qualities here. W- from a science standpoint, what is how is how is like taking a, you know a, a Celexa different from taking some mushrooms? So the 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 typical antidepressants re- release a lot of uh, they, they they block the reuptake of serotonin so that there is more serotonin hanging out. It's like in the pitcher and catcher analogy, there's a bunch of balls hanging out between the pitcher and the catcher. And um, so it increases the amount of serotonin between those two, those two ends. And, and that has a more, that's a more broad-based effect that's going to have effects on different serotonin receptors. Uh, the classic psychedelics are more specific in that, that they – they are are fitting into the 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 catcher's glove at only a specific type of serotonin receptor the serotonin 2a receptor and there's a lot that we need to learn about what the heck that serotonin 2a receptor like what that does in the healthy person so kind of like what i was saying before like the most interesting stuff is not even like what psychedelics do it's like what can they use like serotonin 2a like whatever psychedelics do like it's something that the human animal can do, you, you know. And one of the fascinating things is the so-called mystical transcendental states that have been recorded throughout human history. It's extremely plausible that there's a biology going on that's a lot like maybe very closely related to what we're seeing in, with psychedelic administration. So um, what are those serotonin 2A receptors for in the brain? We barely – we know that they are major – computational units in the brain they probably have a very strong role in regulating what we call consciousness or subjective experience um 
So yeah, yeah, yeah. There's it's it, this is in the area where we have so much more I would to learn. Love, I would love to do one of those sessions. Oh, me too. That's like right up my alley, like a real like intensive. Oh, do a quarter of mushrooms and with with a doctor nearby. I mean, does it get better than that? <laughs> when it's best done is where someone can totally let go at every level, and that's yeah. why I kind of tell participants it's like a even at the even though it is. For most people, unless you have a very severe susceptibility, like high, like the, one of the few people that has ever died after mushrooms was a person, a heart transplant patient. You know, it's right. like, yeah, don't yeah. take mushrooms if you had a heart transplant. Right. Mm -hmm. Not, but, not but, the best idea. It, it, but nonetheless, even after the screening and, and, and with it being pretty robustly safe at the bodily level, nonetheless, we're taking the blood pressure regularly. If it did go up a certain level, we'd give them a little bit of nit nitroglycerin under the tongue, which would knock the blood pressure down. No big deal. You know, we have all these. And then at the interpersonal level, there's you're never left alone. There's a human being there who's trained, who, you know, who who knows how to respond? Is there an anti trip like I, a drug where it's like, here you go, take this, you're sober now? Yeah, like the psychedelic Narcan. Yeah. Basically, there there is, and it's not. Basically, it's not available for clinical use. The, the the one that directly goes into the receptor and could theoretically knock it out of the receptor, like Narcan does with opioids, it's not approved for clinical use. What works really well is just a high dose of of Valium. It's it's not as specific as something like an antidote or, or a, a Narcan type drug, but it works really well. In fact, that's what is often what'll be given, or a drug like that, another benzodiazepine will be given in the in the ER. But I, in fact, we've had to do that very few times out of hundreds of participants. The best recipe is just hold their hand and say, I'm with you, you're gonna be okay. I, I find that it's probably just so liberating to have that kind of security in in a in an experience like that. Like mm -hmm. that just because I, you know, letting go is, it's the ultimate, isn't it? That's, that's, that's everything we're trying to do, you know, uh, in, in life. And even at the legal level, Right, you know, like just it's like in this setting, it's not even an illegal drug. It, right. it is an approved use of a scheduled drug. You know, like the DEA is on board and is 100% approved of what's going on here. It's like, yeah. it's extreme. Yeah. It's like at every possible level, when you're having an experience that can increase the possibility of paranoia, it's like even if one thinks they're in a pretty safe situation, you're like, oh man, what if the neighbor's here? What if like, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. what if the cops come vargy? Even at that level, it's like, boom, you know, you can totally let go at this fundamental level. It's mm -hmm. amazing. Mm -hmm. But what it's but Kate's but Kate, you're right. I mean, essentially what we're all trying to do in our daily lives is just let go. Let go of the stresses, let go of the sort of some of the response, not 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 actual responsibilities, but let go of just the pressures of life, which just makes every day so much better. Well, it's that's also, what we're trying to do through psychology, I know, through Hoffman every, Institute, through all the shit that you, I've done. Every time you go that deep and internal, always everything boils down to mortality. The fear of death is at the center of all right. of all all of it. I mean, that's how, that's how I, that's, that's how I see it. I mean, I could be totally wrong, but when you can actually like let go and, and, and open, open up like that, it just, all of that fear goes away. You, cause you're, you're, you're connected to something that's so much bigger than, than just this sort of 
like you said, you you called it the, the vastness or consciousness, you know, for lack of, a, I guess, of a better, of a, of a more scientific term, you know. The simplest form of learning that even, you know, single cellular organism exhibit is called habituation. It's basically getting used to stuff. Yeah. You know, like you're, you don't respond to things. We can't respond to the world as it's new, new. And that's kind of the biggest, we, we, and as we get older as adult humans, we basically jump through life from heuristic to heuristic. This is the basis of prejudice and biases. And it's, there's bad sides and good sides. You couldn't cross the street unless you relied on biases. Like you're just following these simple heuristic rules. Like if, again, you'd be crossing the street, like staring into the unfolding miracle that is your hand Mm -hmm. and you'd be run over (laughs) by a truck. Well, like you have to, but there seems to be something that like that these experiences do where people let go, they they dishabituate and these things that people get tied up with, they're sort of like the end of life experience. Like when people are on their deathbed, they never say, you know, like, yeah, I wish I had worked more on this little problem I was obsessed with, all of these things. They have those types of experiences like what's well, important? Family is important. Mm-hmm. Like health is important. You know, Forgiveness. Helping mm-hmm. people is important. Right. Mm-hmm. Empathy. Yeah. Like these are the things that when, and I was going to say it's so interesting we talk about narcissistic personality disorder or, or, or borderline because because when you're having an experience, there's so much empathy usually that is being poured out. There's like sort of this collective, like you said, understanding of, you know, that we're all connected or united in some capacity. And it's just so funny that a, that a narcissist would come out of that thinking, I am the Messiah. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, it's like. Yeah. yeah. Well, this is, a, this empath- is also empathetic. why. It's also why I'm not as successful as I probably could be, <laughs> because I live a deathbed mentality. I live. What am I going to remember when I'm on my deathbed? Am I going to am I going to worry? Am I going to remember like some movie or some television show or some this or that? No, I'm going to remember sort of living in Colorado with my family, you know, moving out of L.A. or or being with Kate on some adventure like that's the cool shit. You know, I mean, that's what I'm going to remember in my life. I, li- I like to try to live that deathbed mentality at the detriment maybe to, to other things, <laughs> you know. But I have, I have a quick question. I, I wanted to know about like the visuals, okay? When you can look at, when you look at grain of wood and it starts moving or you see a fucking dragon that's like eating your ball sack. Like where does that come from? <laughs> Scientifically, do we know? Did you have an experience with a dragon? Yes, we don't have enough time to get into it. Ball sack. Yeah. <laughs> but do we, do, what do we know, do we know? Fucking do, brain. Do, do we know what's happening when that happens in our brains? <laughs> So as much as we could say the visual cortex is the, you know, the, the part of the brain that, that processes visual information is very active, and it appears that when people report v- visuals that there, are, there is activity there. So beyond that, we don't really know. I, I mean, the idea, like, okay, what? I mean, it's sort of like it's, we're in the same place we are with dreaming. It's like... We know some, you know, visual when one has vision, so to speak, in their mind's eye, there's something going on in the brain related to visual uh, processing. But what is the nature? You know, why? Why is it the dragon eating the ball sack versus like, you know, what? 
anything else yeah, you know yeah, like yeah. why that yeah uh, that probably has more to do with something about you right you know right or maybe something random i remember or, i remember you know, my very first mushroom trip my ex-husband said whatever you do don't look at yourself in the mirror oh that's crazy i love doing and that and i i i remember looking at myself in the mirror because of course he said it and i did it and i went and i thought like I felt so I I loved the vessel being like like unimportant. Like I I saw like every vein and the blood circulation and I felt so like just a this like working being. Mm. I know? age. I literally every time I every time I do mushrooms and look in the mirror, I age. I it's like People Benjamin Button. That. I'm like yeah. I'm like I go to a hundred years old like this, and I love it. I'm like this is fucking crazy sometimes people morph into their people they know like their relatives and whatnot yeah matt and i know i'm gonna ask this but i know i know you're probably gonna have a very diplomatic answer yeah um but but i know the answer just so you know i know the answer science and spirituality start to connect interesting so gosh the what the the problem is we don't know what (laughs) spirituality is so i always like to say like you ask one participant um was it spiritual and they say well no i didn't see any like angels or crystals or anything dream catchers or whatever and then you ask another person that just described like feeling connected the love for their entire family and empathy for humanity and and then you say was it spiritual and they just look at you like uh didn't you hear me? Like <laughs> what I just said. And so, you know, on the one hand, some people hold spiritual as meaning something supernatural. And the other hand, people view spiritual as basically something that any good clinician would hope for anyone to feel like there is meaning in your life, that you're connected to other human beings, nothing supernatural at all. So it it really kind I of see. depends on what you, of those definitions definition. you have. If you're talking about the latter one about meaning and about Ego-free connection state then i think yeah absolutely this sort of like um it seems a really good way for to access that you know those experiences um when it comes to the supernatural um that's an interesting area because my impression is it kind of works with what you bring to it you know people who come in you know, believing in Jesus, they're more likely to have Jesus experiences. If you believe in plant spirits, you have, you know, you might have a plant spirit experience. If you're what's a, a plant a, a, spirit? A conv- if you're an atheist, you you you're probably not going to come out with you know believing in in God, but maybe you'll have one of the you know you feel connected to humanity and the universe is this miraculous thing that's right. interconnected and all or of that. That's kind of where I'm at. Or you are God. Right. I'm God. God. If God is no, just but, everything, but, then, so and it's all connected. I think there, for me, speaking personally, there's a connectedness that I feel. There's nothing that's big as far as oh my God, there is a God. There's a human connection that I get to experience with my you know, friends and family when we're all on mushrooms and we're all dancing and we're all just having an experience together. And there's like a oneness, you know what I mean? And that has, that sticks with me. I mean, 
that 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 is a forever thing even when you know the night is over you know i you wake up and feel yeah. it actually, still feel it's it actually and it's usually only oliver on mushrooms right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> nobody else is He's filling in the rest that they were never yeah. there <laughs> it's me alone like in what a you're white describing. room with rubber walls i mean it's it's interesting though in your description i mean there are wall like cave cave paintings that depict a similar scene from as far back as we can tell, even like 9,000 years ago. Mm. I mean, so this stuff dates back. People have apparently, by the evidence, been using psychedelics in, you know, for ecstatic, yeah. presumably sacramental like, reasons beyond recorded history yeah well so, i mean, I I mean think this is where all religion all religion came from psychedelics because you think about a tribe or a group of people who are just going to eat a bunch of whatever they're eating and they are having visions and seeing things and are going to be creating you know something more mystical or mythical you know from that experience so jesus did mushrooms i just want to make that clear so this has all been speculated. I, I would say that more broadly, though, even if one doesn't buy buy that, that it does seem that ve- that indigenous societies tend to be pretty focused on achieving altered states of consciousness consciousness through whatever means, like like these intense sound experiences, fasting, you know, finding some crazy cave with weird acoustics that like create an otherworldly experiences. You know, kind of you name it. There, there seems great. to be all and little kids. Great. I have a uh, almost three year old. He just spins all the time. Like, like there seems to be this human thing where yeah. folks, like it's built into the human condition where folks want to profoundly change the the nature of their subjective experience. So interesting. So, kids love what's to get that dizzy. about? So I don't true. know. What does that mean? The kids love to I, get dizzy. I want to know what it means. We're all tripping out. Means. Um, you know, psilocybin or mushrooms are legal in Denver, I think, and a few other places to actually not sell, but to have on you. And you guys at Johns Hopkins are finally getting this money again this to, to, to research to, really to research and understand what this is all about. I mean, this is relatively new, correct? All this money sort of pouring into the research for you guys. So, so the money hasn't been from the government yet. We uh, oh, That's sort of the okay. last day, leg to go. I mean, the FDA and the DEA have been on board for a long time. The, the last government leg to be on board is the money side. It's NIH, National Institutes on Health. God, I think okay. that's going to change in the next couple of years. But th- they have yet to fund still all of the work on therapeutic, all the therapeutic work with psychedelics has been funded by philanthropy. Mm. Mm-hmm. Well, especially with with like a, all of a lot of our veterans and soldiers coming back with PTSD, you know, I have a friend actually who this is his life. He works with veterans with ayahuasca, psilocybin, and MDMA, and uh, you know, just reading some of his papers and talking to him, you know, about how incredible it's been for some of these guys. They can get off these fucked up drugs and actually do something that can help them from the earth. You know, I'm sure that's probably a big part of your studies as well. There's a lot. So we haven't started yet, but we're I'm I'm leading a study on using uh, psilocybin to treat PTSD, and it would be great to really focus on veterans. And so um, MDMA certainly looks very promising in that category. I'm, I'm told by some folks that that 
you know, the classic psychedelics like psilocybin or ayahuasca have even more potential. Um, We'll see. You know, we need to do the research. But I'm... I mean, there's so many prom- promising anecdotes of soldiers. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm, all, I'm also I'm really curious about ayahuasca and addiction. Um, one of the things that I know that I've seen is that people who had suffered from addiction, a couple of people that I knew that went and, and did uh, multiple ayahuasca experiences was able to get sober. It kind of shifted their brain in the, the way that they... I, I mean, how I don't know. Yeah, I don't talk know what, about that for a second, actually, because you know everyone has addicts in their family, and you know how is how is this affecting, you know, some of these addicts, and is it is it bringing them back? I mean, where does psilocybin sort of fall into that category? So my presumption is that given the way they work in the brain, and and there's anecdotes with both that 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 this anti addiction potential is there for not only ayahuasca, but psilocybin, and, and for LSD. There was older work on alcoholism and LSD. We've done a lot of work with tobacco, nicotine addiction. Um, there's, there's modern work with uh, psilocybin to treat um, alcoholism. We've got funding to use psilocybin to treat opioid addiction. So I'm going to be running that, that study. We don't have data on that yet, but there was some older research with LSD treating um, opioid addiction, heroin addiction. So I think there is, I think there's more in common than there are differences between these. And I think one of the reasons, that's one of the reasons why this can be such a game changer for psychiatry. I think there's far more in common between addiction and depression and other psychiatric disorders, not all, but a lot of them, than we've normally um, assumed. And the way we categorize them is kind of superficial in psychiatry. It's not really based on a mechanistic understanding. I think these are different ways of being stuck in a very deeply, uh, a very deep rut. Whether it's being stuck with a certain type of substance use, where it's harming other aspects of your life, or whether it's stuck in a certain way of thinking about yourself, um, that you lose all the, the self persecutory thoughts that come with depression, um, and you know, being stuck in this single-minded focus on the trauma and that ha- that defining your entire life and, and your self-worth. I think these are all ways where people are stuck in this really suboptimal way. And psychedelics, loosely speaking, seem to be a powerful way to blast people out of that. And once someone's out of it, it's, it's like once they bounce out of those ski ruts from a, you know, well-worn tracks on a ski slope or, or you know, where it's, you know, you just fall into the tracks that are normally there. And psychedelics are like a blizzard going over the mountain where it's like, ah, oh, now there's fresh powder anywhere. Now I could see I could just avoid, always hit those trees. I can avoid that. There's this kind of agency where someone could see the pitfalls and have this greater ability to have a flexibility to move outside of these stuck patterns. Mm, that's so great. And, and, and do we understand why that's happening or do we just know that it is well, that's at this what point? He's- trying to I think, uncover yeah. yeah we're trying to figure that out i think it yeah. has something to do with the the brain communicating with itself in this radically different way and some some research i'm doing now with smoking cessation where we're imaging people long term hopefully we'll have some answers like have you basically shaken up the snow globe and things have settled down in a more in a healthier way um in terms of ongoing brain communication patterns but um yeah, I think so much even with even forgetting the biology, we know so much psychologically. It just seems clear that people have insightful experiences 
where they have um, learned from these experiences in the same way that people learn from very good therapy that takes a lot of time. And, and with certainly with certain things like with PTSD, it's hard to keep going to it because it's exposure to the thing that, you know, is causing you problems. You got to keep talking about the horrible thing that happened to you. But the 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 potential is there to have this kind of experience that can radically shake someone out of that. And that can have a power where someone just lands in a different spot and reestablish a new normal. Yeah, it's like a, it's wow. like an it's like a loop. I had a guru once. He's a Kundalini guru guy, and he said to me, and I thought it was a really interesting thing. He goes, "You know, it's like it's like you have a television set right here on the right side of you up here, and you're just you haven't yet turned off the same channel. You just need to." turn off the television it's the same sitcom you know (laughs) running over and over and over again i think that's kind of what you're saying like it's it's a similar metaphor of like the loop that we can get stuck in i mean there's so much that we could talk about oh god it's crazy one more one more quick question i I love i I wish i could talk for a hundred years this is so exciting i hope you come back i know Um, but 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 if you are on sort of some psychiatric medication you know are you allowed to take part in the study it, it depends on what the medication is. If someone's on antidepressants, yeah, it's likely they're going to have a very blunted response to psychedelics. So, like rat research even shows this, and it's they, they their serotonin receptors aren't going to have the same effect. So it's it, you know you're going to have a dud session basically if someone's on antidepressants. But other other medications, it kind of depends on what the medication is. Anything involving the serotonin system, it's safer to just you know, kind of make sure they're not on it in case there's some interaction. And there's some other meds, but some med- medications um, are okay. Okay, one more question. Do you get high on your own supply? Ah, <laughs> uh, you save that one till the end. You try to, like, I know you can't answer it. I know you can't. Lower my defenses. And, <laughs> so I'll give you the politician's answer if yeah. I said I've had experiences like this, then a whole lot of people out there would say you're completely biased and have no right to do this and if i said i hadn't then a whole lot of other people would say oh how dare you do this with to people and not know what this is like yourself you have no right to do this so right right you're damned right. if you do damned I if know. you don't i will well, say i and my colleagues highly we we deeply value how meaningful this can be for people and i think that's the more important question is uh, you know do you you know take the greatest care um to 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 hold these opportunities with people very seriously and 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 um yeah and have a, a deep empathy for them so that i can't answer good. and I say love it. well um, i'm gonna see you next week i'm flying out there matt if someone wants to know more yes. if someone wants to be a part of this yes how do they reach you so um, our, we have a website, hopkinspsychedelic.org, uh, uh, um, and I, I post about our research at my, my Twitter, drug underscore researcher. Um, but it's not hard to find us, even if you okay. forgot the website, you know, Google Johns Hopkins Psychedelic, and it'll be the first thing that pops up. And you can find out about the current studies, apply for studies online, see what we have uh, coming up in the future and what we've already done. Great. great. This is fun. Thanks for for sitting with us. It's enlightening, man. I think this is the future. You know, I'm I'm biased a little bit, but I I do. I think it's just a beautiful thing that if done correctly. Yeah, I've really enjoyed the question and having the discussion with you guys. So thanks very much. 
All right, brother. Okay. Take care. Sibling Revelry is executive produced by Kate Hudson and Oliver Hudson. Producer is Allison Bresnik. Music by Mark Hudson, a.k.a. Uncle Mark. Comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.